Last week, I spent a, a good bit of time talking about the liturgy and particularly um, uh, some of my, my perspectives on it and, and you know, what we do here as a parish. And I'd like to uh, comment a little bit on that and then, then move to something more specifically uh, in regards to our spirituality. But when we look at the liturgy itself, there's always this tension between, think of it as like the cross, the vertical and the horizontal. I mean, there's this tension in our lives all the time between imminence and transcendence, this world and the next. There's always that tension. Now, Jesus, in his person, unites the two, um, the two areas or arenas, right? The divine and the human. But there's always that tension of living in the world but living really for the next. And the liturgy itself is sort of a, uh, exemplifies that, or ought to. Now, what you'll find as you go around, you know, you just go around town or you go around the country, is you go to some churches and you'll say, well, gosh, this, this mass, does, I can't even connect with it. You know, it's so other that I can't even engage, right? I mean, so there's a lot of a lot of guys who are turning back to Latin and turning their back again and, and doing ad orientum, et cetera. And the reason they're doing this, um, they would say, there's a lot of reasons, but essentially there's a desire to focus more on the transcendence because they believe that too much of a focus on the imminence, the world, is is a, a negative pursuit, particularly because we're, you know, as the culture continues to decline uh, relative to its Christian identity, then what you often see is a greater uh, tension between, uh, between religion and the culture. So the, the re religion seeks to protect its identity. So then it, it, it goes back to all kinds of traditionalism, et cetera. This is what the Pharisees did. Their culture is under threat. They're under occupation by the Romans. And so they become really rigorous with their faith. Now, what's in the, this very much, of course, informs my uh, pastoral approach in how did Jesus react to that approach? Well, he condemned it. He condemned it. Because basically the Pharisees were creating a sort of utopia you know, everybody who was welcome, as long everybody was welcome, as long as they did everything the way they wanted them to do it, and as long as they conformed to what they wanted, right? And so they were actually leading people more to themselves than they were to Christ. Christ comes into that that reality, and as opposed to seeing the culture as something to uh, to that is a threat or something to be rejected. He runs toward the people. Remember the other parable about the lost sheep? He says, you know, which shepherd among you having a hundred sheep but losing one of them would not go in search of the one? You're gonna go out and try to find the, the other 99 are fine. You're gonna go after the one that's lost. And which one of you is not gonna just have great rejoicing upon finding that lost sheep? The parables of Jesus talking in this fashion are, are, are many indeed. So regarding the liturgy then, the, this tension of world and divine or uh, earthly and divine or imminence and transcendence or the horizontal and vertical, the cross, however you want to think of it, 
is something that, that I consider and Chris considers quite a bit. So our focus being uh, a community that runs toward the culture and desires to bring the culture in, right, and then trick them into <laughs> seeing if you're paying attention. Um, and then, you know, and then seek, you know, through reaching out to that imminence or the horizontal, seeking to bring people more into the vertical. And so you'll notice even lyrically with the songs that we pick, they're very focused on an individual sort of acceptance of Christ. Now that's very intentional as opposed to more of a corporate or communal lyric because it starts with our own individual relationship with Christ. If we don't have that, the corporate stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense. There has to first be this acceptance of Christ. That, that's what it means to, to be a person of faith. And so in a culture that is, again, becoming more and more post-Christian, you lose that, right? And so if we just have a church that focuses on things like you know, social justice or activity or action, but we're not a church that really prays, that, that really worships and knows Jesus, the doing um, actually becomes a deficit to the being, right? Too much Martha, not enough Mary. Too much doing, not enough being. So you even see around you know, the things we do, there's a lot of being together. Just a, a large focus on us being together, enjoying each other's company as Christians, as, as people who have a common, a common focus. So then we, we turn to the gospel and we see how this applies to the gospel. Jesus is talking about he's, how he's both the gate and the shepherd. So he's the way in, right? He's the gateway to eternity. He's the gateway to heaven. He's the gateway to salvation. He's the only way. This is what the church believes, right? Um, that he is the only way to salvation. You can, and, and rightly, you, you ought to ask, well, how does that work for people who don't believe in Christ? We don't completely know. What we do know is there's only one Savior. And if people are to be saved, it's through him in some fashion, in some way. He, he's the one who does it and has done it. So he's the gate, he's the pathway. There's no other pathway to true, um, uh, well, uh, let's say this. There's no other pathway to the fullness of enlightenment or the fullness of joy, the fullness or completion of our eternal destiny than Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so that's first. He is the gateway. And no doubt, uh, many of us could speak to having had the experience of seeing, following Christ as a limitation of our freedom, right? And this particularly happens in our youth. As we go through, you know, we get through high school, we get out, out of high school, we get into college, and sort of rejecting everything from our parents, particularly religion, feels like freedom, and then, you know, we live our lives, and a lot of times people find that actually we've just, we thought we were, you know, really limited by that, but actually there's all kinds of other things in life that enslave us. And then many times people rediscover 
that there is this great freedom in following Christ, and so they come back. But one of the good things about coming back is it's no longer um, sort of their parents' faith or something that was just given to them. It's something they're choosing for themselves. And that, that doesn't mean that a person necessarily leaves the faith to, to become that, but essentially every single one of us to become a mature Christian has to be doing it for ourselves. So there is first that individual acceptance that matters. We have to choose it for ourselves. Whether we fully leave or not, it's just part of becoming a mature human being, a mature Christian. So that's the first thing. Jesus is the gate. He is the way to, in this life, the best kind of fulfillment and joy we can have. And of course, in the next, the only joy and fulfillment that is to be had. That's what we believe. The second thing that, how do we get there, has to do with him being the shepherd, right? I mean, now, pastor, you call pastor, right? That comes from being shepherd. And so, you know, a, a priest is a shepherd and, and a bishop is a shepherd. But they're really only shepherds, the kind of stand-ins. We're, we're not the real shepherd, right? I mean, we're, we're helping the real one out, I guess. We're doing his work and, and helping with his work. And I was thinking of that this week. Actually, considering this, uh, this homily, I was thinking, wow, I mean, just as I was watching end-to-end coverage of the NFL draft all alone, I was thinking, I'm doing this for them. I am sacrificing, you know, the freedom that I have as a celibate man. I am making sure to watch end-to-end coverage of the NFL draft so I can be a resource for my people. And that's, that's how I justified it. Anyway, um, but, okay, back to the role of, you know, a, a priest who is shepherd is not to lead people to himself, but that he is a conduit to the, the one shepherd, the one true shepherd, right? And so uh, to, to use my talents or a priest should use his talents, what he has available to him, to not get people closer to me necessarily, although I like to be liked and I, I certainly love you greatly, but... Ultimately, I see myself as just another one of the sheep. I really do. I see myself as just another one of the sheep following the voice of the shepherd. And the more that we can learn to hear his voice and then follow that voice, again, this is how we're going to grow in the spiritual life. This is how we become more and more mature. Is we, we clear out all of the other voices in our head, all of the other attachments in our lives, and we try to clear a space to listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, this can be hard. You know, teenagers, if you're on TikTok all day long, you know, or Instagram or whatever the fashionable thing is, it's hard. And I'm not saying those things are bad. They're not objectively, ethically, they're not bad in themselves, although I suspect some of the content could be. But you know, technology is not a bad thing. The NFL draft is not a bad thing. The, you know, well, it can be, but that's another thing. And I think, well, Father, shouldn't you be talking to God? And I'm like, well, I talk to God all the time when I'm watching football, trust me. Um, <laughs> so we live in the world, right? And we have, we have this, these tensions, but it is important, you know, whether it's technology, screens, or, you know, whatever, that we, we do find some time to get away from it just a little bit, 
it doesn't have to be long periods of time, long stretches of time, but moments within the day where we're sort of alone with the Lord and we're willing to hear his voice. This can be very difficult because, you know, all of the other distractions can be very seductive. But if we're going to listen to to his voice, we have to learn how to hear it. And we can't hear his voice when we have a lot of distractions. We have to kind of clear a lot of that away. So my encouragement to you is, is to find, there's many different ways to do this, to find some spaces in your life that it's just you and the Lord, just you and him, some silence, some quiet time so that you can hear his voice. And I guarantee if you give him the space, that's part of what we're trying to do on Sunday, so we're trying to give space, you know, a sacred space for God to dwell. It's so important. I mean, if you think about it, you know, why do we have to go to church? Have to go to church every Sunday. Well, part of the reason we need it is because we need the space to remember who we are and where we're headed. And if we don't give that space to the Lord, we lose it. We become distracted and we, we just get off our mark and we lose our way. So having that space on Sunday, enjoying each other's company, praying, singing, being quiet, you know, uh, recommitting ourselves to our faith through, you know, through the whole mass, but particularly with the creed and receiving communion. All of these things are incredibly important actions, particularly when our culture can be so distracting. And so it is so good that you're here today. It's so good that you're here so often. Those of you at home, it's good that you're tuning in. You're creating a space to hear the shepherd's voice. And then lastly, once we hear his voice, we have to be steadfast on following him. Once we know that that's his voice, we have to be stubborn about following the Lord because there's so many other things that can get us off track. And that's what it means, again, to have faith, but also to have fortitude, to have moral courage, is to stand in the face of the tension and the distractions and say, no, I know the voice of my shepherd, and I will resolutely follow him where he leads me. Please stand.